I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live. I hope you enjoyed the last few programs uh, where I was out of town. Kathy Lee Gifford, that was a, a really good one. Um, and so we're back this week. Uh, we'll have the best of the year next week. But today, this may be the best one of the year today. You'll just have to stick around and find out. I have a, a couple of guests, father-daughter team, uh, and names you will probably recognize. David Limbaugh is a lawyer, a commentator, prolific author, brother of the late, great Rush Limbaugh, and I, I do miss his voice. Uh, but David has his own voice, and it's it's a strong one as well. And his daughter, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom, uh, and I think you'll be very interested to hear from her. Chat is open if you want to be a part of the conversation today. If you haven't liked, subscribed, followed, we invite you to do that now. And I want to show you this book. It is uh, part of a series of books, actually, but it's called The Resurrected Jesus uh, by David Limbaugh and Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. Looking at some of the epistles in the New Testament, what do they mean? What do they show us? How do they relate to us today? We're going to talk about it. So enjoy this conversation. Dave and Kristen, great to have both of you guys here on Life Today Live. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for having us. All right. Uh, David, give Dive in and give us a little bit of an idea of this book and how it fits into the series. Okay, the the first uh, Christian book I, I did, because I've written six political books, uh, was Jesus on Trial, which was my faith journey and a book on Christian apologetics, defending the faith, really kind of naturally combined those because I came to the faith through apologetics, believe it or not. Uh, that's not where you end, but that's where I began, you know, and so you have to accept Christ. But anyway, I had to overcome what I perceived to be intellectual obstacles, which probably weren't, but I thought they were. You know how that goes. <laughs> and uh, then the second one was the Emmaus Code, which was about Jesus all through the Old Testament, prophesied in every other way, which was, I thought was an exciting uh, project. Third was the True Jesus, which was a chronological compendium of the Gospels, um, and where, where you go through the Scripture itself and 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 pretty much state it or or rephrase it, and then uh, add commentary, lay for lay people. And the fourth was the Jesus is Risen, which was the Book of Acts, the history of the the early church, and the Apostle Paul's six epistles, his first six. This book, The Resurrected Jesus, is the, Paul's last seven epistles, the prison epistles, which he wrote while in Rome on house arrest and in prison, and the pastoral epistles, which he wrote to his colleagues and understudies, Timothy and Titus. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the point of these books now is to go through the, the New Testament chapter and verse and try to explain what the Bible means, add commentary, add our own insights, and uh, add insights from some of the greatest thinkers throughout Christian history, the early church fathers all the way up to the present day, and share those insights with, with people, because I don't think they have access. I mean, I've got 34,000 books on Logos Bible software. I have access to so many great people, and they're far greater thinkers than I, but the normal lay reader, the normal lay, even Bible student, doesn't really have access to those people. So I think it's great to be able to share their their greatest insights. 
And then what we've done with this book is add a new element, which I think makes the whole thing. It's exciting. It's, it, it, Kristen is such a prayer warrior and so spirit-filled that I wanted her to add prayers in this book, specific to the contents of the book. And so every three or four pages, I don't know, I can't remember exactly. It's not it's not planned in a certain amount, but we, we would decide we need to pray about this and ask the audience to help, I mean, the, the readers to help pray. And so she would just come up with these prayers. It's like, I can ask her to pray and she'll spontaneously come up with some eloquent thing. I mean, well, how do you do that? So I wanted that in the book. And, and they're really beautiful prayers. I get more, in fact, I'm kind of mad because the people that compliment the book go, yeah, good book, pretty good insights. But the prayers are what I, well, shut up. Don't tell me that. Anyway, uh, well, Kristen, let me ask you about that. What, what, why, why prayer? Why is prayer important to you? Um, prayer has always been um, such a way that I have, that my faith has really um burgeoned in my life. I mean, my mom, um, I mean, my parents both laid a foundation in me from a young age of my Christian faith, but my mom taught me the Lord's prayer when I think I was like three years old. And so prayer has always been, um, so important to me. It's something that I've always held on to, even in, you know, what one could call a wayward season in college. I always prayed every night and, um, it's been how I, how I find peace amidst stressful circumstances. It's, it's how my faith has come alive for me. And I think that, um, there's so many different layers to prayer that really, the more we do it, the more we realize it's really just living alongside Christ as, um, you know, as our shepherd, as our best friend, as the person who knows us better than anyone else as our savior. And so it can't be understated really the importance and, and the significance and the beauty of prayer. Uh, you know, uh, interesting, I think I, I may be picking up on here, uh, because I, I, like you, David, I, you know, I have to understand things. Uh, I love how you have Thomas on the cover of the book, by the way, mm-hmm. I'm that guy. I, I've always thought Thomas was kind of given a raw deal because he wanted to see, he wanted to touch for himself. Yeah. I yeah. have to understand these things. Uh, I, 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 it's a struggle sometimes in the emotional realm, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yet Kristen, you seem to have a real spiritual sensitivity, uh, and, and it's a nice balance. I think, uh, what, yeah. what do you see when you look at Paul's letters, especially these in the book that brings the intellectual and the spiritual together? Either one of you. Well, um, I'll, I'll take the first stab since Kristen hogged the last few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, I Paul directly addresses the, and we can get into this, the false teachers and all, and the doctrine and uh, instructions for Christian living. But he also is very personal and intimate with his readers, and he describes his own prayer. Mm-hmm. And I always, I, I'm blown away by this too, that Jesus, who is, uh, fully human and fully God, but divine, prayed to the Father. Mm. Now, he's already God, and he still prays to the Father. Now, if Jesus was benefited by prayer during his incarnation, how much more mm. do we need it? Mm. And he taught us how to pray. And Paul taught us how to pray by in the in, by example. And, and there's prayers sprinkled throughout his his letters. And it's not like, hey, audio, hey reader, I want you to... Uh, 
pray this way. He's actually addressing Timothy, Titus, and the churches, and he's pr telling them he's praying for them. It's like the whole Bible is a story. We, it's not a book of theological, abstract theological principles. It's about real people in real life and, and the theological principles. The doctrine comes out through these things, and God speaks through the prophets, etc. But they pray, and they show us we need to pray, and they tell us we need to pray. But it's interesting. I think it's more by example than it is by instruction. Right. And I would just add, I think Paul's life is kind of a metaphor for doctrine meeting experience with God, because we know that he was the doubter of Christ because he was so um, he was so knowledgeable. He was so devoted to the Jewish doctrine. And then Christ met him on on the road to Damascus and gave him this encounter. And then he continued to have I mean, that was his one actual face-to-face -face experience with Christ, but then he continued to meet with him in prayer. And so his life is so beautiful because Christ brought out his love for the doctrine through the experiential knowledge of who Jesus really is and his heart and what he was essentially trying to do to save the world and be the Messiah in the flesh. So, yeah. um yeah, I think it's a beautiful testament to how God works. Oh, that, that's Beautiful. cool. That's good. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, you didn't say that about my answer. I like. I like. <laughs> I like. I like yours, the bottom of the screen. I, I have to think about yours a little longer because it's so lofty <laughs> and intellectual. So, <laughs> so here's here's I think the big question for a lot of people, um, especially those of us who uh, David or, or more like us, where, where sometimes yeah. we can things can be abstract and you know truths and knowledge and things like that and we have to get the experience in how do you see these letters that paul is writing to people back then in the first century writing to a specific audience you know it's been said when we read these epistles reading someone else's mail really yeah you know yeah uh, and i think context is crucial how does that speak to us today well of course the bible uh states uh, timeless principles and human nature doesn't change. So the people, you know, we think we're some kind of geniuses now because we've advanced scientifically and technologically, but look at Paul's writings, how sophisticated they are. Look at Socrates who didn't write, but Plato, Plato Aristotle, Aquinas, Augustine, all these people were brilliant. The human mind hasn't improved over the years. I don't care how much of an evolutionist Darwinist you think you are. The, 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 these concepts, these these thought processes and these philosophies, they articulated were probably more sophisticated than those today. Today, they just wrap themselves up in postmodern psychobabble. But <laughs> but I, I, I think that he that he taught us. I mean, that that uh, Paul is is telling us things. He's telling the church. So so in addition to to the the ways he told, taught us to pray, he's telling the churches that they're experiencing false teachers, that they are being bombarded by false teachers. That is specifically going on today, by the way. I'm in the Methodist church, have been, not particularly denominational kind of a person, but it is being split wide open by theological leftists mm -hmm. and anarchists who are, are, are trying to, to uh, sabotage the doctrine, and it's causing the church to split wide open. Paul, it would, these churches are specifically, explicitly applicable to uh, our churches today. You have to stick with Christ and Christ crucified, faith alone in Christ, 
is the avenue to salvation, not some other new age theory, not some syncretism where you combine other faiths, Eastern faiths or practices. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through him. He was very clear about that. Mm -hmm. And Paul is reaffirming that, and, and even to the point of being firm and scolding uh, people who get off the track. People think that the whole purpose of Christianity and Jesus is unity and love and kumbaya. <laughs> Truth, of course, love is essential, central to everything in Christianity, but truth is essential. Christ is truth. Paul was reaffirming that. We can't get away from the truth because if you get away from the truth and dilute the gospel, you rob it of its life-saving energy. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, Christian, do you still uh, assist Sean Hannity? I do, yes. And, uh, and you write as well. I've seen your columns at Fox News. Uh, when we're dealing with sort of the political realm uh, and a lot of the ideas that we hear coming from politicians on both sides are really kind of biblical and spiritual issues. You know, we can say they're political, but they're addressed in the Bible. Right. How do we how do we bring this very old idea of the New Testament into a way, into something that, that is meaningful today that impacts culture, including politics? Mm -hmm. Well, I think what dad was just saying about truth being so crucial and Paul specifically addressing different things to different churches in the time. And I, <clears throat> one thing that my church, my, my husband and I's church addresses is that, um, we are meant as the body of Christ to be more active in in our communities, in politics, and um, you know, in our in our children's schools. We we need and we saw a lot of that happening during COVID restrictions. Parents standing up, fighting against um, uh, you know different things happening and different types of um, educational, you know, sexual education mm. being introduced as, as young as pre K and kindergarten. I think the church really needs to grow more of a backbone and not be afraid to be disliked and really pray for a, a strength, the armor of God to help us face the fear of man. Because I think so many of us are afraid of being labeled as being bigots or being unloving or being exclusive, exclusive. But the truth is that love isn't always being um, nice at the at the at the cost of not telling the truth and and risking somebody's soul being being lost. I mean, Jesus is the shepherd and he wants all of his sheep to come into his pasture. So, we've got to do some hard work, have some hard conversations with the people in our own circles and then on larger circles as well. So, I do believe it's kind of a grassroots thing that begins with Christians and then has to go from the bottom up. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes we look at the darkness in the, in the culture and shy away from it. But you know what's interesting is is the darker the culture gets, and I I do think that that you know is what we've I've seen in my lifetime anyway. No doubt. Um, the more relevant Paul's letters actually become, because Rome was really messed up, and you know we think, oh no, it's never been worse. Well, actually, it has been way worse. And Paul was writing during that time. Mm. What do you what do you see in Paul's letters, David, that speaks to culture even today, where it seems like, you know, 
we call evil good and good evil, which is right out of the Bible. Yeah, and before I get to that, I want to supplement what Chris and you were saying about this. You know, you hear the phrase politics is downstream from culture, um, which is true, but the church ought to be influencing culture. So the the culture ought to be downstream from the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously it's going to be downstream from the world and the world is at war. So you've got these two competing antagonistic forces uh, competing for the influence in the culture and the, the relentless left, the secular left, the godless left, is every day uh, polluting the culture, which ends up uh, being manifested through politics and everything else. But the church has sat down on the job. It's it's gotten so scared, so afraid of its own shadow. And the left is uh, in, inside the church as well as attacking it from the outside. And it is uh, craftily intimidated people in the church from uh, sticking up for, for God, for, for affirming God's truths. And one way they do this is to say separation of church and state. And, you know, that's a misnomer, but we won't get into that. (laughs) But the idea that we can't politicize anything in the church. Well, I don't want my pastor to talk conservative politics from the pulpit. I admit that, although all leftist churches do. But what I do, I don't want that to be construed as, misconstrued as, you can't preach the Bible if it happens to uh, intersect with politics. So, you have to be pro-life. God is life. The, the secular left is death in every respect. Mm-hmm. Their population control, climate, fantasy, all that stuff, everything points to death uh, with them. And so we've got to promote life from the pulpit and not be intimidated by those who say, well, that's politics. No, it's not. You guys have politicized it. It's not about uh, politics at all. It's about God's uh, principles and, the, and truths. Paul would say, preach the gospel Preach all biblical truth unapologetically. Don't back down from the culture, or from the people. Don't try to please man instead of God. And, and, and the fact that we have is, is where I really think that explains the cowardice in the church, uh, in the cancel culture. You couldn't cancel us if we weren't afraid of disapproval. That's what's, it's not just economic uh, 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 warfare against people. It is, it's uh, peer pressure. Just people do not want to be accused of being racist, even though they know they're not. They don't want to be accused of being a bigot, a sexist, whatever. And yet the left is doing it and they've succeeded. It's it's really discouraging. So which which leads us back to prayer. And and we have to stick together as a body of Christ. Yeah. And fight back. We have to fight. Did uh, is your Methodist church going global, David? I pray so. <laughs> do you? Okay. I, I've got two one foot in two different churches right now and the one that i uh am no longer going to for not for any reason i love the church they are they are they're definitely doing it uh at least they're bored the one i'm currently attending has is vacillating so Mm. it'll if they don't then i'm not going to stick around and that's not a threat i'm not telling them that right it's just i can't do it i can't that's what's going on in that church is is disgraceful yeah yeah not the church i'm saying the UMC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was married in a United Methodist Church, and so I've, I've kept up with that. Um, and, it, and it is, and it's, I, I view it as, as evil, uh, the, the oh. ideas that they are promoting. And here's, here's my question for you, Kristen, is when we, when we talk about these things, mm-hmm. it, it is, 
biblical to say these ideas are are evil. They are not of God. They are right. from Satan or from the, yep. if you want to say the mind of man, the fallen mind of man. Uh-huh. Yep. Yet we're supposed to love people. And this is where I think we get tripped up a lot. Yes. Uh, how do we how do we stand firm in God's truth as best we can, you know, as imperfect people doing our best uh, and, and yet love other people in a way that will attract them and not, you know, and even I, I know you can do it right and they're still going to call you bigots and intolerant and divisive and all these names, but yep. there's got to be a way to fight the destructive ideas, the death that David was talking about and promote the life of Christ in people, um, uh-huh. how do we how do we handle that? That's a, that seems to be a bit of a tightrope that we don't always walk very well. It is, and I'm obviously still learning as well. But um, as you were just saying that, I was actually praying in the moment, and I just kind of heard in my spirit, exhibit the joy of the Lord. I think the the first thing we as Christians need to remember is that um, we have we have. Our, we have our lives in heaven. We are citizens of heaven, which Paul talks about extensively in these final um, epistles that he wrote in prison. And he was sitting in a jail cell. So I think it's important to remember that he wasn't writing this with rose colored glasses. He was actively suffering. He was actively being misunderstood and, and punished for his beliefs. And so we can look to him and be encouraged and know that he really did have the joy of the Lord. He said that I I have joy in all circumstances. And so I think the first thing we can do as Christians is just have a posture of gratitude for what Christ has done in our lives. But to thread that needle, as you asked with people who um, maybe are, are, think they're walking with the Lord, but aren't, you know, adhering to his doctrine or who don't know the Lord. I think that it's so important that we are honest, that we, that we don't mince the truth of the gospel, but that we do it in such a way that like kind of have common sense about it, you know, like where we really want, we try our best to keep these friendships or these acquaintances and really imagine how Christ would do this if he were here in the flesh, because, um, like I said, he's the shepherd. He has compassion for all. We need to have compassion in a, in a way that we're not um, coming off as like, you know, hellfire and, and brimstone. But at the same time, we cannot lie. We we have to tell the truth. And so I think that'll look differently, not to kind of skirt the question, but it might look different to different scenarios, different people, but really clinging on to the Holy Spirit to, again, going back to prayer, always asking for the Holy Spirit, always asking, staying in the word of God and asking for his direction on an issue. It might be an issue of timing. You never know, you know, maybe he's saying, wait until next week, something's going to happen that'll open their heart more. There's just, there's so many layers, like I said, to, to these, to our walk with Christ and other people's walk with Christ. But I think if we do submit ourselves, if we, if we stick to the truth of, of the word, then God will help seeds to be planted, even if we don't feel that they are, and it might cost a friendship in the short term, but maybe years later, they'll think back to the one person who was honest with them and say, and thank God mm-hmm. for you being honest in that moment. So just keeping that in in mind. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. I think it takes two legs to walk. One leg is truth, 
and that doesn't change. That's foundational. And the other is being led by the Spirit, which has to do with, you know, the, the timing, the phrasing, the how you go about it. And I think that's how you walk in the Spirit is with, with both legs functioning. And love that. Yeah, oh, That is cool. I never, I I love never that heard analogy. that. Very good. Oh, well, I'm going to steal that. I, I, I just... <laughs> I just made it up, but I probably heard it somewhere and just don't remember because my memory is terrible. All right. Now, since you made that great point, I sh- now I should start doing the questioning. Interview you. Okay. Well, that, right. we'll, we'll save that for another show. Uh, okay. uh, I, I want to show people the book again. This is available right now wherever you get books, The Resurrected Jesus. Uh, and you really should check out the whole series on, on the New Testament. Uh, David Limbaugh and Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. I'm going to give you guys the last word. And David, your last word has to go first so that your daughter actually gets the last word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I just appreciate the opportunity to meet you. And uh, I, I, I like, I love your dad. I've watched him many years. I have, I know now. I mean, there's so much on today. I don't even know if he's still on. If he is. Still you should on, watch. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, no, when we were growing up, he was in our, I don't know, growing up, but a little older. Um, he was in our homes. And, and so that was cool. It's cool to meet you to see the legacy. And um, yeah, I, I love that you gave us an opportunity to talk about the books, the book and the other books. Um, our goal, and I haven't said this, I should have said this earlier. The whole purpose of these books is to encourage people to read the Bible. These are books about the Bible. But they are not God's word. The Bible is. And it, these books are designed to inspire people, excite them about the word of God, uh, underscore just how serious we are when we say the Bible is the inspired word of God, the inerrant word of God. If you really come to believe that, you'll have a reverence for it that will be exploding in your mind and you'll want to go read it. And so we try to impart that enthusiasm in the book uh, so that we can encourage people to read it. So it's, you know, our book is just hopefully uh, a facilitator to get people into it. But it's also this book, because of the prayer, is also kind of devotional. And I think that's cool. Some people, some friends of mine I found in, in our, my hometown here are have a small group and they're actually using our book. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's cool. <laughs> they're my friend. They Most uh, prophet have no, uh, no honor in their hometown. And so I'm thinking they're going to think, what do I have to learn from these guys? <laughs> but probably not, they'll probably learn they have nothing to learn from it after they do read it. But anyway, it's kind of cool <laughs> that they're using as a Bible study. So I, I don't know if I told you that, Kristen. You did. I was very happy. Yes. And I would just thank you so much as well. We we really enjoyed being on. And I always say at the end of these interviews that um, one thing that I learned so much from studying Paul is just that, that I was just so amazed to ponder over the fact that the same Holy Spirit who was um, inspiring him and encouraging him is the one the Christians we today have in our hearts. And so just never hold your self short know that jesus is so for you and that if you submit to him then um he can make so many amazing things um come to fruition through your life and, and your sacrifice for him love it appreciate both of you guys appreciate your time check out the resurrected jesus because that is the key word right there without the resurrection it's all pretty meaningless he's alive he's active in our lives today and he can bring heaven into your life check that out and come back tomorrow we have more for you right here on life today live we'll see you again next time thank you thank you